All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hello and welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller and with me we've got a star-studded cast of people who you know and you love and they're here to talk about Monster. It's been long enough and it's time to do the Monster Roundtable for podcast. Of course, we're going to keep talking about Monster through the re- uh, end of 2012 and probably plenty of 2013 as well. So please keep sending us your reviews either in writing or audio clips. You can send those to podcast at gmail.com. With me is Ken Mills, Matthew Porter, Joe Casey. You know all of these people. We'll have more about their personal bios on our website, podcast.com. But for now, we're starting a new feature where we're going to give back a little love to our podcast fans and friends. And what we're going to do is pick somebody who either rated us on iTunes or joined us on the Facebook page or sent us an email, somebody that said, hey, we appreciate what you're doing, or, or, or give their thoughts on the podcast. So our first podcast fan of the month, the honor goes to Mr. Chris Karam. He's a good uh, friend of the podcast, and he is a big poster on the podcast Facebook page. He sent us a message on the Facebook page saying, Guys, I want to thank you for another great year of podcast. I know this is a labor of love for you guys, and it shows in your work. Looking forward to another great year of shows. And Chris, we look forward to all your wonderful opinions. And of course, you can join us on the Facebook page as well. And we look forward to seeing you all there. So there's our first podcast fan of the month. Let's start talking about Monster. And and before we do that, Matt, you had an awesome point that you wanted to make. Go ahead. When you get a new Kiss album, do you review it as part of the Kiss catalog or part of new music? Like, I myself couldn't care less about new music. I, like I said, I was excited about getting the new Y&T album. Or, you know, I bought, like, for instance, I think anything with a 2012 on it, I bought the treatment, obviously, because they opened for Kiss. I think I, but, like, everything that I buy is new to me. Like, I bought a Bad Company Best of, or I would buy, like, a free album or something like, you know, you go back. I go back to the 70s for anything. Do you guys feel like that there's anything coming out that you like, and do you compare it to, oh, well, this is good if Kiss is 2012, or how does this stack up against Love Gun? I mean, I guess that's kind of set a baseline. How do you look at it? Well, let's let's do this. Uh, actually, I want to ask Cassius to go first in answering this. I'm picking on you for age reasons, Cassius, but right. I would say just, I don't know, demographically, statistically, since you are the youngest among us, you'd probably be the one most likely to buy new music. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm liking some of the stuff that's coming out. I really like the Black Keys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're, you know, it's actual real instruments and in playing, which is kind of hard to find these days with some new, you know, some of this new synth stuff and whatnot. But uh, not really much else. I mean, it, I I don't really listen to too much new music, mostly the old stuff, the classics. Right on. Joe? Uh, well, Aerosmith has a new album out. Did you know that? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think that um, to me it's all part of the stew. I'm, I'm, in a way, I'm sort of glad that Kiss put out a record in 2012 because I kind of want them to be part of the mix. And I, f- I forget what did they debut at number three on Billboard or whatever. So they, they're technically they are part of the mix. Right, right. Yeah, I mean none of the the newish stuff that I ever listened to 
um, is ever on Billboard's top anything. But no, Monster for me, I think, uh, Matt, I agree with you. It's something that I compare to Love Gun or and, Sonic Boom. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways because there just aren't bands coming out that sound like Kiss. I mean, you know, that's... Who, who do you have as their contemporary? Okay, and Joe, you hit it right on the head. Well, there's a new Aerosmith album. Are we in, are we in 2012 or 1978? You know, it's, uh, and which is fine with me. You know, it's, uh, that, but that's exactly it. Is Okay, what are we looking for? We got the new Aerosmith. There was a new Van Halen album this year. You know, again, it's in 1984. You know, let me get Animal Eyes out. You know? right, right. And, <laughs> but and, now, and, uh, we're, we're, the thing is, now we're in this era where we have these, you know, these sort of venerable bands and KISS is just part of that strata of the business. They're part of that, you know, Rolling Stones, Springsteen, you know, Aerosmith strata of, you know, the survivors from the 70s, basically, right. that, are, yep. that have the balls to put out new music. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's a, pretty, that's a pretty rarefied air in and of itself. So I don't think that the fact that they're, you know, a 40-year-old band makes them irrelevant. It, it puts them in a category with other, you know, 40- and 50-year-old bands, which are some of the greatest bands that will ever be. And that's kind of how I look at it. I'm sure that KISS themselves would be pretty right. flattered to hear that. I, I, I mean, you just put them in really lofty company, you know? Well, that's where they are. That's where they belong. I saw something online. It was a picture of Keith Richards, and it said, um, the Twinkie is dead. Bring on the cockroach. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. They will outlast us all. Um, well, let me let me uh, let me also say that you know Paul Stanley kind of set this up too in terms of making these comparisons because um, pretty soon after they were done recording it, Paul started saying, you know, Monster is not a great Kiss record even necessarily. Uh, it's a great rock record. Hmm. You know, so I think he heard it that way, or at least wanted other people to hear it that way, where. They weren't necessarily even comparing it to Kiss's back catalog so much as just hearing it fresh as its own thing. Very savvy, that Paul Stanley. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a smart kid, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really good album, but there's good and bad to it. Like, for example, I love the fact that Kiss is still making music all, all these many years later from when I first became a fan in my teens back in the 70s. And now we have this brand new album of great music and I, I actually love the music on monster some of the lyrics though i get lost in and it bothers me that there's a lot of character driven songs like for example the eric songs seem to be the we're all in a gang we're all into rock and roll and hey look at us and the star child songs seem to be all motivational speeches and uh the demon songs are the demon songs and Tommy's, of course, are space-related, and it kind of bothers me. I just want Kiss to write whatever, you know, comes... I mean, some of the earlier Kiss songs told such great stories. For example, Black Diamond. You listen to Black Diamond, and then you listen to something like Hell or Hallelujah. It doesn't tell a great story. This is the first song we heard, and we've lived with this song for, gosh, what? Probably almost half a year. Since the the summer. It was the summer, right? I think it was June. Okay. Ken, what did you think of this song when you first heard it? Great riff, fun energy to the song, but to me the lyrics make it inaccessible. The lyrics seem to be about something that we're not in on. 
the song doesn't really tell a story. I miss the great story songs that Kiss used to tell, and what I mean by that are things like, for example, Black Diamond. The same guy who wrote Hell or Hallelujah wrote Black Diamond. Black Diamond tells us a story. There's an epic arc. Hell or Hallelujah is really vague. Nobody knows what it's about, and it doesn't really sell it to me. It's an attitude song. It's an inspirational song. It's, But it, I'd rather have something... To me, Modern Day Delilah was more in the vein of a classic Paul Stanley song in the sense that it talked about something. Something that was accessible to us as fans or people hearing the music for the first time. Cassius, how about you? Yeah, I think that's a really good song. Paul always says to open the album with a rallying cry to you know, kind of set the tone for the album, and I think this really does it well. Um, there's a very strong opening and ending uh, to this album. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Heller Hallelujah, definitely the right choice for the first um, song on the album and the single. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a goodie. How about you, Joe? Uh, I don't know what it is if I've I'm, you know, heard it so much and heard it live and they played it on all the TV appearances they did. and I'm kind of over it mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. But... But in the context of the album, I guess I've found a new appreciation for it in the sense that I kind of wish they were doing this kind of music in the 80s, you know, this kind of, you know, opening with a, with a guitar riff and it's got some interesting stuff going on in the, in the middle eight. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't, I'm not nuts about the melody or the chorus, but, you know, I know what they... I know what they're trying to do when they put out a song like this as a first song and why they open the record with this. It is that sort of statement of intent. But I right. sort of, it's one of those things where I don't know if I've always agreed with their own intent. I, you know, I, I almost think that sometimes Kiss is a band that sometimes doesn't see the forest for the trees. That's right. And uh, this is. It, I'm sort of on the fence on this one. Sometimes I feel like that, and sometimes I feel like, no, this is the one they they should have put out. When there was no album out, if there was going to be a song that was going to have to last for, you know, five months or however long it was, uh, this this isn't a bad one. You know, I, I don't know if I totally disagree with the choice of this one. Well, I have I have a response to that, and it's I think it's a response of agreement and an idea, but I want to hear from Matt, too. Well, I'd agree. I think you hit it on the head. In some ways, you get tired of the first single because it's not in the context of the album, and you've heard that one a thousand times by the time the rest of the album comes out. I think it really did set a good tone. We kind of knew what was coming. Obviously, uh, a lot of people stirred it up when that uh, video came out, and there was the whole no lies, no faking with pictures of Ace and Peter, and that created quite a buzz. Oh, um, yeah. Which, you know, by the way, as far as I know, and, and I, I think people would probably agree, this is something that Gina Paul had nothing to do with. And yeah. that's, that's exactly what, the, what I heard right away was, look, Universal made the clip. They never saw it. You know, it just seemed like a very poor uh, use of the pictures in the video. Mm-hmm. I think, if anything, this almost sounds like something that should have been on Paul's um, solo album, the most recent one, because it's definitely a kiss-off to, uh, could be definitely some woman in his life. And I, and I think if you read it that way, it's a great, you know, hey, look, I'm doing very well without you kind of song. So, I kind of wish that what they'd given us is Back to the Stone Age as the first single. Yeah. Because that's a song they all four wrote. That, to me, captures the spirit of this record, that kind of... And this era in, in history, too. This, these four guys, with what I 
perceived to be a lot of camaraderie and really, um, you know, kind of like team effort, working well together. Back to the Stone Age is a, you know, is a really fun song. We'll talk about it more when we get there. But I think that would have capitalized on a lot of stuff. Gene's very popular now in a, in a way. I mean, he's, he's kind of the face of Kiss. Um, it's a really fun song, and it starts off with that, you know, his scream, the way kind of Psycho Circus started with Paul's <coughs> scream. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for another Gene single. I think Kiss tends to hedge their bets, or, or, or maybe it's Paul that, you know, it's, but, but I'm sure that, you know, it's not, it's not just Paul, obviously, but they hedge their bets. They always put out something for mass consumption, in, in this case, these lead-off singles, where they have some sense that maybe it'll break out as a, as a bona fide hit single. Right. You know, they never trust that they can put out kind of a more classic rock song, and th- that might catch on, right. you know, with people. They always kind of lean towards something that they think might be able to compete on, you know, a- as such as it is, Top 40 Radio. And that, that always grates me a little bit, because I think, again, they're, they're better than that, and it's always, you know, their version of trying to get on a Top 40 Radio always tends to lean towards the slightly generic rock song as opposed to something that has some personality where you look at i mean again not not the most apt comparison but if you listen to like the songs that the rolling stones uh, recorded for their greatest hits record that especially that doom and gloom song it's a fucking rolling stone song and and it's unashamedly a rolling stone song and um it it works on that level It's, it's not trying to you know, compete with, you know, One Direction or anything like that. And I don't think Kiss is on a <laughs> conscious level, but I think it's, you know, listen, no one can accuse Paul Stanley of having a small ego, so I know that on he's got to have that in at least the back of his mind to say maybe this one will bust out on some commercial level, you know. Yeah. If they really wanted something to be consumed uh, by, you know, the mass market, as, as Joe was saying, why wouldn't they release um, All for the Love of Rock and Roll? I think that would be more accepted by the, you know, the radio station, stuff like that. I don't know. It's just Maybe it's just me. M- maybe. I, you know, I think Kiss re- releasing a song that's kind of a, a rock and roll song, you know, with the, with the word rock and roll in the title and the chorus, opens up the door for a lot of derision. I mean, everything they do opens up yeah. the door for a lot of derision. But you c- it's easy to deride a band that's known for rock and roll all night. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they have this album forty years later with you know all for the love of rock and I don't know. I mean, but at least they're but at least in that case they're leaning into it conceptually in a way that you know you you could, you know there might be some eye rolling but but at the same time it's like you're not going to fault them for that. I mean I think that that is a, I mean I know we'll get to that song and it's a great song, but then we get back to you know what in what parallel universe is a song sung by Eric Singer going to be, you know, a single right. and kiss, you know, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Not a chance. But then, you know, we'll, None get, of them to, are. we'll get back to it. I you know, yep. I, how would it be, how would it have been if Paul had sang that song? He wrote it. Right. You know, I'm so glad that Eric sang it, but you're right. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get there before we, before we drop hell or hallelujah. Let me, um, let me do this. You know, there's a song that was written in 1924 by George and Ira Gershwin and it's called fascinating rhythm. And uh, when I, you know, when I started really kind of listening to music more broadly and making comparisons and, and everything, 
Um, you know, I heard the similarities between I Stole Your Love and Fascinating Rhythm. And then Paul confirmed that in one of the Kiss books. He talks about writing that song, etc. And I want to do this. I want to play a clip of Fascinating Rhythm. It's, it, it, it's either going to be... Uh, yeah, I'm going to play the clip that's Fred Astaire doing this song. Um, and then I want to play Burn, a little clip of Burn by uh, Deep Purple. And people can sort of make whatever comparisons they want to here. There we go. Fascinating rhythm, you got me on the go. Fascinating rhythm, I'm all a quiver. What a mess you're making, the neighbors want to know why I'm always shaking, just like a flipper. All right, now we get to track two, the all-important <laughs> wall of sound. I think as a, as a track two and, and Gene's sort of introduction to the record as far as vocals go, um, this is a very strong one for me. I, I'm, I, Gene, I'm unabashedly you know, a Gene fan when it comes to Kiss. Uh, he's the guy for me and, and very happy with this as his first song on the record. How about you, Matt? Well, it's actually Paul, Tommy, and Gene. I'm looking at the book right now. Uh, I like it. It's not one of my favorite tracks on the album. I think in a way that um, it, it doesn't, like, I think the better songs feel a little more personal. This one, I don't, I don't even really kind of quite know what they're kind of getting at. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, okay, let's put a stack of Marshalls up or whatever. You think of Phil Spector's Wall of Sound, all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, I, I, this was actually, I wasn't blown away with the song in, you know, as the second one on there. Right. Right, didn't, it didn't grab you the way, uh, I don't know, some of those Gene songs that are track two, like Saint and Sinner, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Oh, love it, love it. <laughs> yeah, great, even, great song. Even just Gene songs on the album, and compared <laughs> to the, like, you know, not to get ahead, but you mentioned Back to the Stone Age. I mean, obviously, I think that's a much superior track. Mm. Um, you know, I, I just wasn't as taken by the song. Joe? Uh, I like it. I think that, uh, I mean, I'm such a songwriting snob. But I, I, I like the song because the verses are different than anything that Gene, a Gene song has ever done. Hmm. Those kind of high ringing guitar lines that he's singing against. That's pretty interesting for, for what he usually does. Yeah. So the song makes it for me for that alone. And, uh, you know, a wall of sound. It's, you know, I'm sure somebody's used that title before, but I don't recall anybody using that title as a song. So that's kind of clever. As Matt said, it has a lot of connotations to kind of music history in general. Um, so I like I like the song, um, but yeah, it's not it's not the strongest Gene song on the record for me either. Yeah, I, I think why I um, and lyrically I love it because of that sort of uplift that you get. There's there's something uplifting about it to me. Um, 
Let let the let the was it let the floods go raging by. Let the sinners wash away till the dark of night sees a ray of light and begins another day. To me, that that almost reminds me of Wall of Sleep or Behind the Wall of Sleep. I think it's called from the first Black Sabbath record. Everyone know that one? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What what is it? Uh, wall of Sleep is lying broken. Sun shines in. You have awoken. Something very oddly uplifting mm-hmm. in, in the middle of a very dark record to have that in. Um, in an otherwise heavy, stompy, dark song, it's, it's a nice, uplifting lyric and uh, great riff. Great riff. That bottom do that and do that. With yeah. a terrific bass sound all over this record. The bass sounds yeah awesome. Cassius, what about you? I think this song is awesome, and I might have to give it the crown or whatever you want to call it for the heaviest song on the album, in my opinion, uh, at least. I think it works great live for the most part, mm-hmm. but not with the vocals. Uh, I don't know. I, I just have a little bit of a problem with that. I mean, Gene on the cruise, I guess we can give him some slack, though. We can give him some slack. It was his first time doing it live, but he seems to be eyeing the teleprompter during that one and struggling a bit. But the music in that song, I think, is awesome. And the vocals on the studio version are great, too. Um, yeah, I really like the track. Ken? Love the music. Uh, the Gene song is just reach right out and grab me, and, and I just I just love them. This one was written by Stanley Simmons and Thayer. To me, this is like a salute to all of classic rock, all the great music that Gene grew up with and all the music we grew up with. Again, another heavy track. and I love the fact that they're like channeling all these different bands, uh, everyone from ACDC to Slade to, to whoever. You know what's all in here, and you, you, can, you, you know the influences, but it's really good stuff. Great track. Now that we've analyzed track two, let's check out what our good friends over at DecibelGeek.com, the, the fine Decibel Geek audio show, with our good friend Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. They're going to share their thoughts on Monster. Take it away, guys. Hi, I'm Chris Sinzak. This is Aaron Camaro. We're of the Decibel Geek podcast, and yeah, yeah. these are our thoughts on Monster. I liked it. I thought it rocked. Well, I know we said we had to be brief. <laughs> we don't have to be that brief. But um, we're going to try to keep this under two minutes. I know you guys have a lot of stuff you, you're going to add to the show. So um, overall impression, though, you dig it? I dig it. The yeah. guitars are solid. The bass is loud. The songs are well written. You know, it. I like it. I like it quite a bit. Yeah, Gene's bass tone is nice and dirty on it. Yeah, the I, drums I mean, totally are killer. Yeah, the drums are good. I've heard some people say they didn't like the drums. I really? thought they were great. I thought they were solid. Had that and, good uh, boom to them. Dig it. Uh I think Tommy's actually really good on this. I think he yeah. has a bit more of his own identity in the solos. It's, I agree. It's not more of a note-for-note note ace right thing. As it has been in the past. Now, yeah. he, now he's like a nice hybrid between Ace and Bruce, and I like that. Yeah. That's a good sound for Tommy. What's your, what are your favorite songs on the record? I like the Peter Chris song. I, I mean, the Eric Singer song. I can't help it. They look so much alike, I get them confused. Oh, you're going to ruffle I like the uh, I like the Eric Singer song. I do, it's too. One of my all favorites. for Love Rock and Roll. Yeah, yeah me, too. Um, there's they're all pretty good. Uh Shout Mercy I dig. I love um that one. Back to the Stone Age, that's a killer tune. Yeah. I like I like that. Heller Hallelujah, the the lead off, the first song I heard, I dug that right away. That's got a deep purple burn type sound to it. Yeah, it does. You know, you can tell little kisses like reached into their influences a lot and some of their influences yeah. are themselves. It, like I said on our uh, our own full length review of this on our uh, bonus uh track thing that we do. Um, this song is kind of this out. Al- this album is kind of Kiss's love letter to the genre of rock and roll. I, I think so. You can yeah. hear a lot of influences, like Shout Mercy. You hear a lot of Humble Pie in that one, right? Um, you also hear a little bit of Humble Pie at the beginning of Eat Your Heart Out. It's a kind of a not a rip, but an homage to like Thirty Days in the Hole. Um, 
all for the love and rock and roll. And I know you you made the crack about it being a Peter Chris song. It sounds like what Peter would have done. It does sound like a Peter Chris and song to there's me. No, but there's nothing wrong with that. No. You know, uh-huh. that's what you want with a Kiss album. Right. Um, Take Me Down Below, I think, kind of has an 80s, almost Crazy Nights type vibe. Yeah, it's like I can a, agree with that kind of asylum feeling song. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's 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 got, I like that, though. I think the album needed it. I think it's a good album that encompasses all of what makes Kiss great. I agree. I agree. And I hope they do another one. I hope so, too. Good stuff. We did it in just over two minutes. Thanks for having us on, guys. Thank you. And now, Gary, we move on to track three. Freak. I can't hear this song without thinking about that blonde streak that he had in his hair back in the Destroyer era. (laughs) Right? I got streaks in my hair. Streaks in my hair. Remember that? I do. Remember I, yeah. you know, I don't know if any Go if ahead. anybody wants to jump in on this one, but I think this really I think this is one of the strongest kiss songs in a lot of years because even though clearly he's not feeling like a freak because he could do whatever he wants with his hair, nobody's <laughs> gonna make fun of a multi million dollar rock star. Yeah, not except any, for the people on the message boards. Yeah, except for the fans, right? We we yeah. we, we seem to be the harshest critics. Uh, yeah, I really think Freak is one of the best new Kiss songs that's come out, and I think because I think everybody can kind of understand it that you know when people would point at you and say, "Oh, how come you're wearing a Kiss shirt or you're doing something different?" In a lot of ways, I think it speaks. You know, we talk about new music, but I think in, in my mind, it speaks to a younger audience who still gives a crap what people think about them. You know, yeah. I'll wear my Kiss shirt. I don't care who, what they people want to say. You know what I mean? Or I'm glad I had my hair left, let alone if I had streaks in my hair. So, but I think, and I think to a lot of people, you know, you all can relate to something in your life where somebody gave you crap for, you know, and it's the typical story for the way you look, the way you dressed, what you were doing. I mean, I really love the song. I think it really is, it could be the Kiss Army National Anthem as much as anything else they put out. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. I mean, we, we, we well... For me, I don't know, as a psychologist, this makes a lot of sense to me because I think people get a lot of shit for things that uh, make them different from everyone else. Um, and, you know, I, I, I appreciate the message. It's a message that sounds a bit corny, I think, and, um, you know, the lyrics are certainly heavy-handed, not, not, that that's, not that that isn't often the case with Kiss because they tend to write heavy-handed lyrics. Um, but ham-fisted as it is, I think that it's sincere because they've always had this message. Right. Right. I mean, if, even if you go back to 1974 or whatever, I mean, there's, there's, a great, you know, there's a great concert clip of them playing in Detroit for maybe the very first time they've ever played there. And um, you know, Paul says something about, you know, if you're worried that people are going to think you're weird, take a look at us. Yeah, and I love that. I think mm. that's what's so cool about Kiss. Or yeah. One of the things. Yeah. Ken. Uh, Cassius and Matt and myself, we all discussed this that this song should be a video where they show all the Kiss fans and all the Kiss kids and everybody, and uh, everybody sings a little bit. And basically, the video would be constructed of everybody saying that they're freaks and show off the Kiss Nation and all the freaks in the world. Get as many famous people as you can in there and have it aimed at people who are 
being bullied and saying, hey, we are all the weirdos out there, and you can overcome this too. I think it would be a smart thing to help get the KISS album note, you know, noticed among some people. I think it would be a smart thing to do. Sadly, I'm afraid it's not going to happen. As far as the song itself, it's pretty good. And how about you, Joe? Uh, it's a good song. I'm, I, you know, just to go along with what you were saying about the sentiment, I'm glad. I, it's actually, I may be wrong, but it feels like it's been a while since a Kiss song has expressed that that sentiment of you know, fly your flag high and all that stuff. It feels like, you know, not since maybe in terms of a big statement, not since Crazy Nights have they got sort of done this kind of message song of like, you know, be who you are and, you know, it's, it's great and don't worry about what people think and all that stuff. It's, it, I mean, we're all familiar with it because we know the whole catalog, but it really has been a while since they've had a song that, you know, went there. Right. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's not my favorite song on the album, but I'm glad they are covering that territory now. Another one yeah. co-written by Tommy, too, right? We're, we're, we've got uh, two so far. I mean, this guy's all over the record. Well, I feel like, I mean, not to ascribe too much to Tommy, but he is the fan in the band, so I wouldn't be surprised if he has similar insights in terms mm-hmm. of historical value of like, hey, we haven't, there hasn't been a Kiss song that has expressed this sentiment in a while, so maybe this is the place for it. I, you know, I wouldn't put it past him to be that, that voice in the band to say, you haven't done this in a while, or this is a part of what you do, and it's been a while since we've, you know, done it, so let's try it here. That makes sense. Yeah, he knows what's up, yeah. you know. History Science Theater, the most civilized... Yeah. Oh, f***. <laughs> oh, f***. <laughs> Come on. Respectful. Just imagine Gene with, like like a, with, like, a washtub bass. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> And serious. No, wait. Excuse me, Bob, you're gonna come over and do my album. <laughs> Kiss Podcast on the web. History Science Theory. We bust balls because we care. And then we get another song co written by uh, Paul and Tommy, but also by Eric and Gene, right? Which is the first song that these four guys have written together. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody, but this is the first song co-written by all four KISS members of any lineup since All Hell's Breaking Loose. Well, Wasn't you one of the best uh, written by all four, or was it just no, some? No, I think no, it was just Gene. They, yeah, just, they all sung. Oh, they all sung. That explains just, it. Yeah, just Gene. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Not a fan, huh? No. Well, you know, at the time, it was, it was, a, it was fun, but yeah, that's, that's a cornball tune and, and kind of hard to listen to now. <laughs> But but let's get let's talk about this one. Back to the Stone Age. I I love this song. I love this song from top to bottom. That scream that Gene does. Mm-hmm. Anytime you get Gene just going yeah, you know, it, it, just that kind of raw Gene power. There's a there's an aspect of Gene's personality or persona, I should say, um, that my friend Charlie calls the Happy Demon. And if you look at the first three Kiss records and all the pictures that were taken around that time, especially like Hotter Than Hell, Dressed to Kill era. You see Gene smiling a lot in the promotional photos. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Kind of like scary, dopey, fun, goofy, weird. Yeah. Creepy, cool. <laughs> all, like all if you guys... Yeah. A Good. grinning gargoyle. Grinning gargoyle. Well said, yeah. Cassius? 
it's like if you I don't know if you guys can see my uh my Skype avatar right now. He's kind of doing that in the picture there. <laughs> yeah. The happy uh, demon. Yeah, yeah, that happy demon. And I I, uh, I I think we get a lot of the you know the tongue out and the grimacing face. We get that a lot, you know. But but we don't get you know that happy demon is something that I really loved about early Kiss. And this song sounds like that. And I love the gang vocals. Everybody singing back to the Stone Age. It's a great you know. They talk about meat and potatoes. This is about as, you know, hard rock as you get. Yeah. yeah. My favorite tune. song on the album. Yeah, I, I love this song. And I think, in a way, do you think it's Gene wanting to go back to when he could hit a girl over the head, grab her back to his cave, not be wearing <laughs> red-footed pajamas, and, you know, eat a lot, you know, eat some raw meat, so, uh, <laughs> so to speak. The, yeah. uh, I, you know, after, after we've seen Gene in the footed pajamas, and we can't unsee that, isn't it nice to think of Gene really being on the top of the mountain saying, I'm the king? It is nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's kind of a Gene ego song, but now he's not allowed to have the ego of, I've you know, banged 5,000 chicks. So the ego has to be more, more pure self-aggrandizement, uh, which he's very good at, but he rarely does it in songs. And right. now he's, you know, he really has no choice. If he's right. going to go there, and uh, this is a pretty, this is if he's going to do it, this is a pretty good way to do it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. A fun way. Yeah, and and you know, mostly kind of a harmless, dumb way. You know, <laughs> man, just just some awesome stuff from Gene again. Just just love it, love it, love it. Uh, the music's awesome. The lyrics are pretty good. I would have again going back to I miss the story songs. I would have liked to have a little bit more story to it or something, something that sets the mood. But this one one thing that's cool about this is it was written by all four guys in the band: Stanley Simmons, Theron Singer. Great, great to see Kiss doing that kind of stuff. It's it's awesome. Love the music. Love the music. And what about track five here? This is a song that I think a lot of people seem to really love. I, I like it too. Shout mercy. Hmm. Best, I love it. Paul, best Paul song on the record should have been the single. I mean, if it was going to be a Paul song, this is this should have been the one. What makes you say that? Well, it's just it's it's just fucking interesting in its arrangement and uh, the way the background vocals, you know, uh, interact, the, the, all the woo woos, and I mean, it's just it's a song that it's the kind of rock song that not a lot of bands are doing anymore. And uh, they just did it great. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, holy shit, they really can, you know, kick it out when they want to. Yeah. And I have a feeling that this is one of those songs that within the band, not that I don't think there's any throwaway songs on this record, but if they thought there were like, you know, I guess, you you know, we call them album cuts and things. This to them is an album cut. But to me, it's a really significant kind of musical, you know, rock and roll swing and song. Yeah. And I, I think they they can do these things really well, but I don't think they put as much of an onus on them as they should. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, and, and I think, Joe, it's, it speaks to the sort of death of the album, or that the album is a sort of dead art form in a way. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, when I feel like when we were kids growing up, this would have been a song that uh, that the press would have picked up, you know, because the album would have come out and everybody would have been talking about it, more or less. And this would have been one of those songs that people would have asked the band about and they would have started to think, hmm, maybe this is an important tune. 
And um, yeah, you know whether it was Cream Magazine or Shit Parader or whatever would have been. You know <laughs> there would have been something about this tune. I could just see actually Circus Magazine or something having a picture of the band playing live, and then under it it would have said you know uh, something like um, you know Kiss shouting mercy in concert. You know some corny <laughs> thing. But it would have yeah I think people would have picked up that this is very much the spirit of Kiss in this song. Shout mercy is kind of a favorite of mine. And this is just a slash love fuck song from Paul, and it's pretty cool. And I love, I know that some people don't like the woo-woo and the Motown pop rock kind of uh, background thing, but like I could hear the Smithereens covering this song big time. I think it would be awesome. Kind of like a beatles kind of clap and stomp thing going on there. and Excellent stuff. And you know what? It's just it's just a good song about getting it on with someone you love. Good stuff. I love the hand claps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and the woo, very woo, subtle. Woo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very subtle. A little nice claps. Yeah. Kind of like Paul, the piano. Yeah. The Sorry, go ahead. Well, it's a Paul sex song, which I, I don't know if there's been many of those lately either. Maybe on a solo record, but in, in terms of Kiss, he's always let Gene kind of make an ass of himself, talking about logs in his fireplace and shit like that. <laughs> but Paul does it better. You know, Paul's a little classier with his lyrics. It's still the same subject matter, but he, he goes for the less goofy puns. And, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, now I'm really getting too no. weird with it. But no. it's, a very, it's a very adult sex song, I guess you could say, because it's not... It's not that lascivious. It's not that stupid. But I'll tell you what, you know, as far as this song and, and, and Joe, your comment here, I'll, I'll throw a little wrench in here, or, you know, I'll, I'll twist it around a little bit, because actually Paul did something very similar on Sonic Boom, I think. Musically and lyrically and thematically, I, I would say that this song is the better, faster, heavier version of uh, Danger Us. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It better be. Well, I mean, look, Dangerous is... I, 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 don't, I don't dislike Dangerous so much. I think it's a silly title and a silly lyric, but, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's virtually the same riff. You know, that kind of thing. It's the huh. same riff, and, you know, whether he's singing I Don't Want a Lover's Heartache or Heaven Don't Send Me Someone to Love. Oh. What? Did I ruin it for you? No, just that... that, that. Uh, not a fan, huh? Of, no, uh, and you Us. just... Yeah, and, and the angels know. Yeah, angels oh. know. It's not what I'm dreaming of. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. To me, th- these songs are very similar. I think Shout Mercy is a lot better. Well, he got it right it, it, when you bring up that song, which I totally blocked out of my mind. <laughs> but I will say this, too, in terms of arrangement, which I'm kind of also a big snob about, is that the, you know, the song is great, and the verses are really heavy and chugging along. And, you know, if... If you, you know, you listen to a song and you get to this point where you're like, I guess there's not going to, you know, like maybe when you get to the guitar solo or certainly the chorus after the guitar solo, you think to yourself, okay, I guess there's no more verses in this song. Because, you know, generally a song structure is once you get to that last third of the song, the verses are done. They've right. done the two at the top. And, you know, if they didn't do one after the solo, then it's pretty much done. And yet... Thank God they, they end the song with another verse, Isn't which I cool? thought was v- really cool. Right. It makes you think it's, it's the most important thing for us to take away. You know, it's the takeaway point. 
Yeah. You know, for him to go back to, I don't want a lover's heartache. I don't need yeah. nobody's sympathy. That's like, that's the takeaway point. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I, I, I never would have thought of that unless you'd pointed it out, but that's a great observation. Yeah. Yeah, very unorthodox way to write a Kiss song, and it really works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, there's something going on with the songwriting on this record. It's, it, I feel like it's very strong. But that's another reason why I would have loved to have seen this as the lead-off single, because it does break some songwriting conventions. And when you have that one chance to, because it's your opening statement of your new record or whatever, and that people will pay attention because it's all they have, you have that opportunity and maybe that responsibility to put something out there that does break the mold a little bit, that is not exactly a formulaic song structure or whatever it is that, that, that breaks away from you know, 95% of the songs out there that make it on the radio. So that's another reason why I would have liked for them to you know, put this one out there. I mean, it would have sounded fucking great on the radio. I think as they get older and you know, try to do things in concert, there are notes that are harder for Paul to hit than, you know, than they used to be. You know, and I mean, that's just a part of getting older, I think. You know, we, we, we're all going to go in that direction. And what I think would be smart or would be cool is if they just take more advantage of the people in that band and the strengths they have. I'm not saying let Eric Singer sing every song, but, you know, they were doing Parasite (laughs) a few years ago, and what would happen is that on nights where Gene's voice was, was, you know, better or worse or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, Eric would sometimes sing the higher, like sing an octave higher, and Gene would go an octave down, and you'd get them, it it would really kind of... um, I don't know, reinforce the, the melody. It would sound really good. And I don't know why they're not doing that. They should, you know, they should perform a song like Shout Mercy live and have Paul sing in an octave lower, have Eric go up to the high one or what have you. And, and Which actually brings us to the next song because they did try that live. My, per, my personal favorite Paul song on the record is the next one, which is Long Way Down. And they did do it live. And musically, instrumentally, it was unbelievably tight just yeah. phenomenal. Vocally, at times, it was just too pitchy and, 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 and tough, I think. You know, in the same way that when Paul did, I don't know, Get All You Can Take or something in the 80s. It's a song that didn't last in the set list, I think in part because you could do it in the studio because you only need to do it once to get it on the record, but live, night after night, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. It kind of seems like... Um they're, they're treading on that line of what, you know, really... Um, let me think of a way to explain this. Okay, so Paul's always saying, and Gene, the whole band saying, no pre-recorded tracks live, no, you know, people playing backstage, no auto-tune, this and that, all 100% live, raw playing. But, but then again, they, they put touch-ups, very, very noticeable touch-ups on the vocals in the studio, and then they do it live, and it's completely different. It's... It just kind of seems like that's reversed, if you guys know what I mean. Well, I think the goal is different, though. I mean, you, you make a good point. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I actually don't hear a lot of the auto-tuning on this record. On Sonic Boom, there are places where it's yeah, it's uh, very audible. On that re-recording record they did, it's, it's very, very... Uh, Sounds like <laughs> something from Glee or something. <laughs> it does, it does. It does. <laughs> and, you know, you've know, you got to do what, what's in the service of the music. So I think the goal with a record is to achieve a kind of excitement that leaps off the turntable or the, or the MP3 player or whatever. And, you know, you've got to hit those high notes in the studio, and you can. <coughs> you, you can do that in the studio. Live, it's a different experience. And for me, I don't know about you guys, but 
you know, in the 80s when they did a song like um, uh, Fits Like a Glove, you know, Gene wasn't going to hit those notes that he hits on the record, but it's more important to have them play the damn song. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I get that. Right? I mean, so, so I think, to, you know, to credit Gene here, he's always been very good at taking a song that they recorded that he knows he's not going to be able to sing that live the way he did on the record, and just shifting <coughs> the melody down a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Right? And so if Paul could do that, if he, you know, he's already doing it with the older material, like kind of shouting, talking, and, and, and shifting it down a bit for things like Love Gone, Detroit Rock City, songs that you've got to hear live, it's important to have it in the set list, but material that's as strong as Long Way Down or Shout Mercy, I think needs to be played live. Long Way Down, love the music, excellent song. I think that, uh, again, I would have liked to heard a little bit more of the story, but I guess that, you know, we, we all we all kind of know what it's like, and we've all seen these things, but again, it's another motivational song in the sense that saying, like, if you don't look out, you're going to fall kind of thing, and I just miss the, she's a dancer, a romancer, I'm a Capricorn, she's a cancer kind of thing, and come on and love me. I'd rather hear that kind of stuff from Paul. Um, I wish that Kiss wouldn't write to the characters all the time. I mentioned this earlier that this is Paul Stanley's Kiss, in a way, at least to me, but I would really like to hear some diversity among the Kiss albums and Kiss songs and tracks because, like, you think about songs that are as diverse as See You Tonight and She and Black Diamond and I Was Made For Loving You, and there's some diversity there. They're, they're all different in their own way. I mean, you, th- you think that the same band that did Beth is also the same band that did Watching You. I would like to see Paul let Kiss, quote-unquote, breathe a little bit more and take some chances and like they did in the past. And often those those chances that they took might have not panned out, but it's made for a very interesting and diverse set of Kiss music. And let's be honest, nobody ever thought that Kiss would be as interesting musically as they became. And a lot of their mistakes, quote-unquote, have been some of the most interesting stuff they wound up doing. I Love a World Without Heroes. That's a song that you wouldn't have seen on a Kiss album in 1978 because the rules were, that's not Kiss. Well, Kiss is whatever Kiss is, and if Gene wants to write a disco new wave track, then let him. And I, I just think that we need to see some of that, some of that life breathed back into the band. You wanted the best, you got the best. And if you want the hottest show on Monco Radio, join us in the Kiss Room. The Kiss Room is a monthly radio broadcast celebrating the hottest band in the world. Kiss! It's your place for all things Kiss and some... For broadcast dates and all information, go to thekissroom.com. The Kiss Room broadcasts live and worldwide on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. And before we close out part one of our monster discussion, we're going to give you an overview from Matt Walters. And take it away, Matt. It's time for Mainline with Matt Walters.
Monster is an album in the classic sense of the word. It's more of an album than Psycho Circus, the hodgepodge combination of COS leftovers, Ace and Peter tokens, and songs producer Bruce Fairburn didn't reject by a band he didn't know. It's more of an album than Music from the Elder, which was half recorded in three different states, and I mean both kinds of states, physical and emotional, by three guys at wit's end with each other and a producer with a serious drug problem. It's more of an album than Dynasty or Unmasked, which featured members of KISS working with anyone but each other, including bass roadies, a faceless drummer, and the unlikeliest KISS ghost musician to date, a female keyboard player. Monster is even more of an album than many of the early ones were, when the band was apparently its most insular. For example, Dress to Kill is ten tracks that KISS cobbled together to make a product as fast as humanly possible, which would seem to suggest cohesion, except that the collection completely disregards consistency in tone, attitude, sequencing, or theme. Hotter Than Hell and Kiss, two of the band's highest-rated releases, both borrow various Wicked Lester cast-offs to flesh out a complete lineup, as well as a straight cover to boot. I could go on, but you get the idea. Which brings me to my next point. Monster is an idea, too. I have absolutely no intention of taking that idea, Monster, as anything other than its glorious whole which is why I will refrain from taking some sort of track-by-track -track rundown with ratings. Monster is not that album to this reviewer. Monster is the idea that a band 40 years on could enter the studio and redefine themselves from a small focal point inside a common, sweaty room. It's a room where Kiss huddle together in ways they never do on stage. It's a space where a song is born out of two, three, or four guys shouting out ideas and coming to a compromise. Some of those shouts probably becoming actual vocals on this album, possibly from the general direction of Eric Singer. But where was this idea born? Let's flash back to three years ago. In 2009, KISS released the surprise fan and critic favorite Sonic Boom, which proved handily that the band could resoundingly deliver a modern-sounding homage to its late 70s self. The reviews were nearly unanimously positive, although there were a few valid criticisms handed to the band. Although the writing was more in line with the classic three-chord structure the band relied on heavily for the first seven years of its career, at times the band sounded a bit too much like caricature rather than creation, and a bit too much like stealing rather than reincorporating. Nevertheless, even the band's most ardent detractors made it clear that there probably were enough good ideas and well-executed songs to concede that they might be moving forward rather than bowing out with the final retirement album and tour, as was the expectation with the release's initial announcement. Perhaps most importantly, embedded within the writing credits, overall vibe, tone, and looseness of the band, there was obviously more insularity oozing out from beneath the KISS surface since approximately mid-1976. In late 2010, it thus came as no surprise to learn that KISS was making plans to return to the studio, especially in light of how obviously satisfied they were working with co-producer Greg Collins. They were also extremely pleased with the streamlined overall process and result of Sonic Boom, underscored by their willingness to forge ahead as a vital unit despite an industry-wide decline in album sales. Interviews with Stanley and Simmons around this time made some of their intentions clear to get harder and to get meaner. But the question remained, where to go thematically? How would KISS take the positive from Sonic Boom's culmination of KISS into the future with a modern-sounding look forward? 
Retreading homage territory in 2012 was pointless, especially for a band that had bragged vitality and new blood since the 2004 Rock the Nation tour. KISS found themselves at a crossroads creatively. Eighteen months later, fans got their first glimpse with the summer single, Hell or Hallelujah. Although the song featured a similar overall vibe and composition to lead Sonic Boom single, Modern Day Delilah, it contained a more abrasive, upfront, dense, and thick mix. The chorus was catchy. The verses were solid. Stanley's voice, while frayed, was passable, if not very good, and overall, fitting. Reviews were generally positive. Optimism reigned. Monster could be another big winner. However, as the samples of the rest of the album were leaked, the picture became much fuzzier. What is this? Some of it made sense, but the rest is simply too difficult to discern. Many of the snippets featured just part of a chorus without any further context. It didn't sound like what we were expecting. Yes, it was heavier, and yes, it was harder and meaner, but was this kiss? The jury was out. When the rest of the album leaked, the picture became crystal clear. The whole of Monster is Sonic Boom turned inside out and more. If Sonic Boom was an entire, cohesive, delicious orange, Monster isn't just the insides gushing juice all over your face as you rip it open. It's the action of ripping, open, ripping it open itself. The oral center is a deliberately frenetic mix thick with razor-sharp guitars, a bombast of drums, and a bass tone that slices you in half by boosting the highest and lowest edges of tone through a cave of distortion. Sonically, the band Kiss has become the desperate, nightmarish effect of Stanley's frayed vocal cause, just on the edge of viability, just on the edge of falling apart, and just on the edge of something dangerous. It is a beautiful disaster, and I believe it is thoroughly intentional. You want rock and roll? It's the rasp of Paul's voice as he screams his lungs out, while the band crashes and burns through your speakers at the sound of a pulsing, thunderous rhythm. Many critics of this album will point to the compressed, loud, dense production as a significant liability. I take the opposite view. It is the album's chief strength. This is KISS, as in your face as ever before. This is the entire fucking idea of KISS. At the center of this, thematically, as they are at the center of all KISS actions, are the star-crossed but sensitive Stanley persona and Simmons's menacing growl sleaze. Their hallmarks are there, not only at the surface, but above it, in Stanley's angry posture pout in Hell or Hallelujah and Shop Mercy, and in Simmons's playful grind and Eat Your Heart Out and The Devil Is Me. They're not just self-evident, they're immediate. There are also extremely strong supporting performance and composition roles played by now firmly established members Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer. And speaking of surface, below it there are also layers upon layers of vocals, guitars, effects, and nuances. Hand claps, feedback loops, and buried sonic nuggets waiting to be unearthed. There are embedded harmonies from all four members in almost every song, inaudible in the 20th listen, unmistakably present on the 100th. There are riffs drawn from Roots influences never as clearly present in Kiss music before, from Zeppelin to Humble Pie, seamlessly wove into a fabric that retains the indubitable stamp of the band we love. Most surprisingly, there are clear, brief nods to the predecessor Sonic Boom and other Kiss albums going back through the canon all over the music and lyrics of this release in carefully embedded but more seamless, organic ways. Kiss playfully recapitulates for extremely brief moments before launching into another huge chorus or slamming verse. 
It's almost as if they poke fun at the notion of borrowing from themselves by tossing off a two-second ditty from the past while subsequently punching you in the mouth with the next vital sequence. The best examples of this conveniently come from the direct ripped-out middle of Monster within the songs Shout Mercy and Eat Your Heart Out. Stanley throws the ready-steady-go lyric of Danger Us into the pre-chorus of Shout Mercy, whips out the guitar riff exactly once for good measure, and then steamrolls into a perfect chorus, as if he was taking a past foothill and crafting a mountain because he felt like it. Eat Your Heart Out takes all the things that were great about the melodic themes of Nobody's Perfect and puts them in an entirely new context, without once feeling like it's forced or stolen. Going as far as purely virtuous sampling, I got something want to talk about from the aforementioned Boom Chestnut. And there's more, from the reimagining of Mr. Speed's guitar work throughout the surprise Eric Singer-led would-be hit All for the Love of Rock and Roll, to the tag of the last three notes of the guitar solo in The Devil Is Me being identical to the tag of the last three notes in the guitar solo of Say Yeah. These are not accidents, and these are not coincidences. Yes, Monster is a contemporary Kiss album, and it's one that doesn't sound like 70's Kiss and doesn't sound like three years ago's commercial music scene. It doesn't sound like the mid-90's, and it doesn't sound like the early 80's. It's a strange bastard child of early 70s hard rock band imagining itself on the edge of something while being smart enough to write sophisticated songs that reference both their influences and themselves and while maintaining something indeed contemporary. It's difficult to imagine that an album at this stage of the band's career could be on the level of the group's best 70s material, let alone Creatures of the Night of Revenge, but there's no question that this album is near the top of the list for all the reasons listed above. In my view, the album is a 9.5 out of 10, and very well might be Kiss's best album, when taken as an album. And yes, I am bold enough to say that unabashedly. After all, Monster is an album in the classic sense, and it's one hell of an album. This is Matt Walters reporting from the main line. You're listening to Podkist. Someone, somewhere, is needing to hear from you. Someone needing to know that you care. Care enough to give the gift of Podkist. Tell a friend about Podkist today. Download us on iTunes, friend us on Facebook, and rock your ass out. Podkist. Well, that wraps up side one of Monster, and we're going to continue this roundtable next year, 2013. So here to wrap up 2012 is some live rare kiss. Thanks so much for listening.
And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podcast crew, Thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears. Work. Hey. Oh. That works. Oh, okay, that'll, that'll get me started. Okay. okay. I got a boogie, um, and my voice is giving out. So. All right, as soon as you can. Yeah, no, I'm going to send this stuff to you ASAP. Yeah, because... Um, yeah. I say that. So sit back and relax, and... We, and Catch you and be.